0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Other Room. My name is Oreolu Aleshi, or Ore, as my friends and family call me. The Other Room is a podcast that features conversations with exceptional African women who are defining and redefining their roles in life. These are women who are charting their work and life journeys with purpose. We will look at their career trajectory, the challenges they have had along the way, and the things they have learned on the path to where they are now. I hope that my guest stories will help reaffirm that you are where you are meant to be, and if not, will encourage you to make important decisions about your next steps. Today's guest is Mrs. Sandra Oyewole. She's a partner at Olajide Oyewole LLP, and has been in practice for over 26 years. She leads the intellectual property and technology practice and co-leads the employment and global mobility practice of the firm. With her intellectual property background, she has helped to establish the firm's technology practice. She has in-depth knowledge and experience in Nigeria's creative and innovative industries, regularly structuring deals and providing legal, business, and regulatory advice. Mrs. Oyewale is committed to the creation of structure within the creative and innovative industries. And this includes the strengthening of Nigeria's anti-piracy and intellectual property laws and policies. Welcome, Mrs. Sandra Oyewole. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm really excited to have you.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: All right. So let's start from your childhood. Um, Can you tell us a bit about your childhood, where you grew up? Um, Yeah. What kind of aspirations you had as a girl?
1: Okay. My childhood. Wow. That's a few decades ago. Um, I was born here in Lagos, in Luth in 1970. Grew up mainly in Sioux Leary. Um, spent a lot of time in either a papa club or a club swimming. Um, went to Corona and St. Saviour's. Uh, Secondary school was Queen's College. Um, university was the University of Ife, which eventually became Obafemi Awolowo University. Um, I, I, I'd say I had a good childhood. Um, I ran around with my brothers, and then in my pre-teen years, I had a baby sister, so um, she eventually joined us, and. Um, we, i just remember things being really free i don't really remember having any significant worries so maybe that i really didn't have anything to worry about or maybe my memory is gone
0: (laughs) well sounds idyllic (laughs) yeah did you have an idea of what kind of life you wanted for yourself as an adult
1: honestly speaking the answer has to be no um I just remember um, having a nice time. Things were pretty, seemed pretty simple and easy then. And I guess as a child, really, um, what do you have to think about? I mean, it wasn't perfect. I mean, we suffered power outages. Um, I remember having to take the bus to school, but it was just life, you know, Um, we just got on with it. If there was no light, we lit candles. Um, when there came a time when um, there was no car to take me to school, I would walk to the bus stop, uh, catch a bus and make my way to school, you know, um, when eventually I had to go into the boarding house. Um, I was it was with mixed emotions, you know, um, but it, it was a good experience. Um, going to university out of Lagos was also really good for me. Um, in that I got to see outside of Lagos, um, and I spent uh, four very good years in um, University of Awolowo University. As I mentioned, uh, we unfortunately went through strikes and uh, shutdown of the university, even some protests and riots. But you know, we we went with the flow, so to speak. There were serious issues that were being addressed, but. Um, it happened and you just got on with it. Um, for my youth service, I actually went to the East, um, spent a few weeks in my orientation camp um, in Oka. And that was another experience um, for me, which was really, really good.
0: Right, so what inspired you to um, to want to study law in Obafemi Law University?
1: Honestly speaking... <laughs> I think it was just more of a function of the subjects that I was good at, really. Um, There wasn't any um, inspirational figure or issue that uh, caught my own eye or attention that made me say, right, I I want to be a lawyer. It was more to do with the fact that I I was really good at the subjects that um, um, required entry into law. Um, and I also enjoyed reading a lot, uh, which mm. is, is, is a critical element of being a lawyer. Mm. But then after qualifying or during the course of my studies to be a lawyer, um, I think it's a combination of the two. During my university and law school years and um, on becoming a lawyer, I, I can actually point out um, two or three figures that were really inspirational to me. And um, I can go ahead and mention them, right? Yes, please. Okay. So the, the first person had to be my very first employer, which was um, Chief Rutimi Williams, S.A.N. Um, his work ethic was just amazing. And um, his impact on the growth of Nigerian law was just um, something else. Um, another person would uh, be Chief Mrs. Hyrat Balugun, also a senior advocate of Nigeria, um, as a young lawyer, watching her um, argue her cases, the confidence and um, the depth of knowledge that uh, she used to show in court was, was something that was really inspirational for us, um, and particularly me as a young lawyer. And I would have to add um, a Justice of the Supreme Court, Honorable Justice Antonia Akundayo, And he he wrote this amazing book for young lawyers. And um, there was a quote in there. He took it from a poem uh, where he... It was pretty much just inspiring all of us as young lawyers to do the very best that we could, you know, um, in in our careers. Um, Yes, we're starting on the bottom rung, but with hard work and perseverance, uh, that we would become um, good lawyers, we would become lawyers that um, people... Uh, trusted their matters in. So my own inspiration to be the lawyer that I am today would come from during the course of studying law and ultimately being a young lawyer um, almost three decades ago.
0: Mm, okay, mm-hmm. so it sounds like well, obviously it really worked out for you. You studied law and you found um you found mentors, you found people who are inspirations and mm-hmm. um so you have enjoyed a successful career um mm-hmm. since then. but I mean, how does it make you think about the the place and the need for um career um counseling career guidance? I mean did you have any of that or it was primarily? because, okay, well, you already said it was primarily because you were good at the subjects, but did you mm. get any kind of guidance in secondary school when it was time to think about what to do in university?
1: Um, when I look at the kind of um, guidance that you have now um, for children and what we had then, um, not really. I wouldn't say that we had a career counsellor. I wouldn't say that um, careers were discussed in the way and manner that they're discussed now. Um, What we did have was the occasional talks. Um, People in careers would be brought to speak to um, a whole bunch of us um, about uh, why they studied what they studied and where they are today. Um, It was more an all round uh, approach which was understanding your civic duty, understanding the need to work hard in school Um, understanding that um, everybody needed to work to earn a
0: living. So career guidance,
1: as you have now,
0: not really. Can you tell us about your first job? You mentioned that you worked (laughs) with, yes, um, Mr. Rotimi Williams, S.A.N. What was it like?
1: Chief Rotimi Williams, S.A.N. uh, Chambers, Um, that was in the early 1990s. Um, For litigation, dispute resolution, uh, his chambers was the foremost chambers at the time. And it was a real honor for me to get in there as a youth corpora and um, start my career there. And it was there that I actually met um, quite a few lawyers um, that were either very close to me in age at the bar or senior that became lifelong friends. And also joined the list of mentors um, in terms of training, in terms of confidence, it, it, it just generally building um, and growing my career. And um, it, it, was, it was a lot of fun because um, Chief Williams, um, his niece, Auntie Bola Williams, which is what we used to call her. Uh, Uncle Ladi Williams, um, which was um, uh, another of his sons, along with Kukumbo um, and Folari, they were all part and parcel of um, the chambers and uh, planning to go to court, planning on your defense, your strategy, your case against the other side, for me, then when I look back, it was really exciting. It was a lot of work, but really exciting going into the, I actually found it exciting going to the library to go and understand what rights and liabilities my clients had or didn't have. Um, Going to court, going to court wasn't a walk in the park because you you have to have a lot of confidence um, and Mm -hmm. courage. And um, as a young lawyer, appearing uh, before those judges in their robes and wigs, uh, new lawyer. It was a bit daunting, not to mention going to the Supreme Court, where you had to face three judges on the bench, or even the Supreme Court, because then the Supreme Court was in Lagos, and you had to deal with five judges. And you're standing there, little, young lawyer, um, having to announce your name and state who you are representing. those were some of the more hairy moments, but you get over it after a while, you know, with time and practice, you get over it. So um, it was fun. We used to have lunch every day with Chief Williams and the rest of the lawyers. So we, we, work was a, a fun place to go to. You had, I mean, it wasn't always um, good times, obviously. I mean, there was stress, there were highs and lows, but they created a working environment that um, was good for
0: all of us you could flourish and grow your career as you needed to. Mm. So then how did your career evolve from there? Quite simply,
1: um, I was made an offer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was made an offer by um, the law firm Olajide Wale & Co., as it then was, um, to move from being an employee at Chief Rotimi Williams Chambers to being an employer. I was offered partnership. And I'd spent uh, just over eight years at uh, Chief Routy Williams Chambers and looked at my options, uh, and it, it, it made sense to make the move at that time. And um, Olajide Woleanko, as it then, was, was was a very different law firm in many respects to that of Chief Routy Williams Chambers. At uh, the Chambers, it was predominantly dispute resolution, Whereas and Co. was a commercial firm um, with other practice areas, a lot of solicitors work. Um, instead of being an employee who took instructions and managed whatever I was asked to manage, I was now all of a sudden thrust into the position of um, being concerned about revenue generation, um, development of practice areas, HR and admin matters, um, which ties in with something that you asked earlier about career development truth be told um, moving from an employee to an employer um, status there wasn't much training at that point in time for that
0: sort of thing
1: so it was a real learning curve for me but um, i've enjoyed every aspect of it and every minute of it really
0: yeah, I was gonna ask how how you were able to make that transition because I know that you know being working for someone and then being the boss is totally different. I mean, did you just wing it? Did you just you know learn as you went along? Did mm-hmm. you I don't know do training courses? It, yeah, you're absolutely
1: right. Or uh, I mean, it, it, while I say I loved every minute of it, it, it was it was and remains tough because. You're responsible for other people. Um, I'll give you a classic example. Chief Rotimi Williams Chambers was one where all the clients, potential and existing, came to the chambers because of the seniority and age of the principal partner. At Olajide Ewali LLP, um, by the time I was joining, the founder of the firm, Chief Olajide Ewali, had retired and it was a much younger. Set of partners running the firm, and in a commercial law space, um, you if you go to the client or the potential client, so that was a real um, culture shock for me. Mm-hmm. By that time, um, computers were becoming the norm. When I started practice, we didn't have computers. We wrote in longhand and gave everything to. Um, the typist or whoever it was that used to type up stuff for us. And um, I now had my own desktop and uh, had to dust up my typing skills. I had been taught how to type in secondary school, had to dust up my typing skills and start typing whatever it was that needed to be typed up. Um, And then you now have, so you have those issues to to contend with. Um, As I mentioned things like revenue generation, What, where's the money going to come from? Because you have to pay your salaries and your outgoings on a monthly based basis. So whether it's the generator, uh, maintenance and diesel, whether it's staff salaries, whether it's um, more books for the library, whether it's training, um, you had all of that and we still have all of that to think about. And in terms of, of how... Um, I dealt with it well. Um, there was a lot of support from the partners that I met uh, at Olajide Um, There was also a lot of reading and self-training, and then of course one or two courses. So it was it was a combination of things that helped me um, become the employer that I am today. And I dare say that we're all still learning. I'm I'm definitely still learning. So. Um,
0: it's, it's a never ending journey that we are on so now you lead the intellectual property and technology practice, mm. and you also helped to establish the firm's technology practice. Mm. So um, you had mentioned that, you know, when you started, you know, computers, technology, was all, it was all fairly new to the firm. And I, I can imagine that it still is, well, technology in terms of the Nigerian law. Mm. So what motivated your focus on technology? Mm. Um, the,
1: the thing is this, one of the things that... I learned very quickly uh, when I joined Olajide and Co. then was that um, it was a firm that was quite open to new areas of practice. And being a commercial law firm, you really have to be open to new areas of practice, right? It did have a strong practice in um, the area of copyright, which is one of the governing laws of tech. So it was from there that we began to build our practice in the creative industry. By creative industry, I'm talking about music, I'm talking about film, I'm talking about book publishing. Um, those core areas of entertainment, because you have to advise on the laws of copyright. You have to advise on what constitutes ownership, etc. And it was through that, that um, we began to see the role of technology what I'll describe as uh, digital technology. And I'm going back now, possibly nearly 20 years ago, when um, in our music practice, because the the firm has a very strong music practice. um, Originally, we used to receive cassettes from Europe Mm. in brown envelopes, you know, sent by DHL or UPS. And then... um, After a while, instead of receiving those cassettes, what we started receiving was links via the computer, Mm. right? And you would just click on the link, you would listen to um, the sample of music, establish what you needed to establish, advise your client, and then prepare the contracts and move on from there. And as Mm. digital distribution of music began to ramp up and grow, you now saw what happened to the entire music ecosystem. It was completely disrupted. Record labels were wound down or became subject of mergers and acquisitions. Music stores shut down. Um, Revenue streams changed overnight. Um, The CD was no longer The Beautiful Bride, as it were. And it it was clear to us where we were sitting that this technology, it was just a matter of time before it spread to other sectors and businesses. And sure enough, we saw what happened in the finance industry, with um, the ATM, um, the credit and debit cards. Um, we've seen the other ways in which technology has impacted on um, our lifestyles, whether it's from the desktop uh, phone to Uh, the smartphones that we're using now, the evolution of all of that. So it it only made sense to develop a tech practice. And what really is a tech practice? A a tech practice is made up of personnel who understand the various areas um, of law that are applicable to tech. For instance, if you look at FinTech, you do need to understand the laws of the Central Bank of Nigeria you need to understand the laws of um, our Communications Commission. You, know. you need to understand um, the Securities and Exchange Commission laws. You also need to understand the laws of our Companies and Allied Matters Act, because all of that plays a role in your tech business. Um, intellectual mm. property is a key focus of any tech business, whether it's copyright patents or trademarks. You have to have a good knowledge of those laws so those are the different things that um, um, pretty much led to the growth of the practice area. So now we have, um, we have two main partners within the tech practice, but obviously when the tech work is extending to other practice areas, such as real property, um, the real property partners get involved. Uh, we have a team of about 10 associates running different areas within the tech practice, because tech practice is is split. It's got a number of sub-practice
0: areas in there. And I think that sort of like Mm. sums it up. Okay, what's the hardest part of your work? I mean, I think you kind of spoke a bit about it in terms of um, maybe the revenue generation, the actual, you know, the running of the the law practice. But maybe you can just talk about other parts that, you know, um, you think are, um, maybe you find more challenging.
1: When when you talk about the hardest part of, of the work, it, it's, it varies and it also depends because at this point in time, um, as a partner in a law firm that is affiliated with a global law firm, I should mention that we are now Olajide Wale LLP. Um, a few years ago, we signed uh, up and are now members of uh, dearly Piper Africa, which is an alliance of independent law firms ac- across Africa. And um, we work very closely with DLA Piper, which is a global law firm. So with that comes its own responsibilities, ranging from business development to business continuity. Um, I should point out that This discussion is happening while the world is going through a global pandemic. Um, In in terms of the the hardest part of the work, it's a range of things. Um, As I mentioned, the health and safety and welfare of our personnel, um, business continuity and planning for the future, Um, because what we hopefully have in place, what we're planning for is a scenario where as one set of partners retire, um, the firm continues. Um, So business continuity is the priority for us. Um, I I, I would say that those tend to capture it in a nutshell, you know, um, what the hardest part of the work tends to be right now.
0: Okay. Then what's the most satisfying part of your work? Uh, I'm
1: smiling here. Honestly speaking, (laughs) for me, at this point in time, it is when one of the new members of the team closes their first deal. um, And um, they're sitting there talking about uh, what they did right, what they could have done better and we're listening to that particular associate and um, they, they have the glory because it, it, mm-hmm. it, it's that sense of satisfaction that makes that motivates you. you. know, It's what gets you out of bed every morning, that you're going to go and work on this mm-hmm. particular deal. You're trying to close this particular deal. You're trying to help this particular client sort out a particular problem. And at the end of the day, when it's closed, when your job is done, watching the look on the face of the associating question, it's one of the things that I find really, really satisfying. Um, obviously, um, growing the business is another aspect. Um, but for me, it's tied more, the satisfaction comes from the, the personnel, watching them grow and uh, seeing their skills develop, whether it's in terms of confidence or in terms of drafting or in terms of um, advising clients on whatever it is they need to advise on like right now um, I can sit in on a meeting and I can simply just sit back and let the team handle the discussions with the client because they have developed their skills mm-hmm. and that for me is is, is a big satisfaction
0: well, that's that's really fantastic that means that um, people are growing people are learning people are moving into Absolutely. leadership. Um, positions mm, okay, then I also wanted to ask actually um, since um, you helped establish the firm's technology practice, how do you yourself stay up to date with technology, especially with how it relates to your work mm. <laughs> but... that's
1: a big question so i'll I'll take it in in different aspects uh, sorry I'll take different aspects of it and, and discuss in in terms of Let's take, for instance, data protection, right? Um, data is extremely valuable, and it is because of that value that it needs to be protected. Um, olajide Owali LLP has been licensed as a data protection compliance officer under Nigeria's data protection laws, and the function of the data protection compliance officer is to help the regulatory authorities ensure that business organizations, as well as the public sector, are ensuring that the data of their subjects is properly protected. And one of the ways to do that is through training. So we provide training for our clientele and anyone that requires it. On the flip side or the opposite side, we definitely have to participate in trainings. Um, we, We can't stop learning. Um, data protection laws are not laws that um, are old or have been in place for years. Um, Even in Europe slash the UK, which has one of the most comprehensive data protection laws in the world that was only recently passed in the last couple of years, right? And there is a constant need to be up to date and to know um, what the law says. Um, And because we are in the position that we are in, we must be seen to be training the people that need the training and the organizations that need the training on the one hand. And we must also make sure that we are continuously learning. Now, moving to intellectual property, um, intellectual property is copyright, trademark um, and patents. And each one has its own law. And these laws talk to you about what constitutes a copyright or a trademark or a patent. It tells you what rights you as the owner have. It identifies who constitutes an owner. It tells you how um, a work or an invention is subject to copyright or patents and um, is afforded the protection that the law gives. And these are not easy concepts or principles to understand. Um, And as a result, if your company is IP-based, if you're in the creative or innovative industry, if you're in the tech space, whether it's FinTech um, or any other form of tech, um, or even if you just use technology or intellectual property, people who understand the laws to show you how to protect your intellectual property. And that's where a firm like mine comes in and um, the the people that we have working in the firm. um, We have people who are specialists in copyright, people who are specialists in trademarks and patents. And um, we routinely, and this is why it's great that we have these teams uh, because one person certainly can't do all of this. Um, We routinely are in, uh, invited to give workshops or masterclasses. Um, we tend to be speakers or discussants mm-hmm. on panels, um, whether it's in the music space or in the FinTech space. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, even the real prop tech space, um, we're invited to speak. Uh, we have, we have um, very good relationships with um, various regulators within the intellectual property space, whether it's a trademark registry, the Nigerian Copyright Commission, the World Intellectual Property. Um, And with those relationships, what that allows us to do is not only to keep up to date on um, changes in the laws or policies, but also to be called upon to provide training as and where may be required. So it's a a cycle. Uh, uh, I would say it's a never-ending cycle which um, we thoroughly enjoy because of the satisfaction that it brings to us in terms of knowledge and development.
0: I to ask so you're a partner in a law firm um, and a very busy <laughs> one at that. Um, I just want to know like so do you feel there are specific things that women who are looking to succeed in legal careers need to know? So maybe things that Oh, you wish someone had told you, you know, when you were starting out your career or things you learned, maybe learned the hard way or you learned anyway as mm. you went along.
1: Um, you, you always pray and hope for good guidance. That That's the truth. And um, sometimes you find that you have um, gotten bad advice. That happened to me very early on in my career. And I got into trouble for that. Um, but it was a good lesson. I mean, you learn from your mistakes and um Uh, um, with regards to these kinds of mistakes, once you learn from it, you will never make it again. And you're also able to share such um, mistakes of judgment with um, your friends, your contemporaries, and anyone who you may happen to be managing in the course of your career. Uh, The the truth of the matter is that it's not easy. Success requires hard work and... um, Hard work is, is that. That's just it. It's hard. There are long hours um, to develop yourself. There are long hours required to ensure that um, when you are advising your client or when you're pitching to a client, they're actually listening to you and taking your advice or deciding that, you know what, I want to work with this lawyer. As a woman, it's, it's even harder because um, there are the natural prejudices Um, There are other issues that women have to deal with that men do not necessarily have to deal with, whether it's um, unequal pay or um, gender discrimination, which um, it it, it, it has certainly impacted on a number of us in our own careers. And what you find as, as you get older is that you now become an advocate for change. So, in my office, for instance, everybody is has is on the same pay grade, depending on your level it 's not going to be that because you are a man, you will earn more or less, or because you are a partic- of a particular gender you 're going to earn more or less it 's down to merit mm-hmm. um, having children that 's great women are the ones who are able to get pregnant and, and have children um, that certainly has an impact on your growth and um career trajectory, because you have to take time out. While I was at uh, Chief Williams Chambers, it was very supportive um, of such, of when you got pregnant and and had to leave and have your baby. So it didn't slow down your um, um, progression. It didn't slow down your career. And the same thing has continued at Olajide Wale LLP. I I found that um, while I was there, and um, it has only continued to date. In fact, in our office now, we have a creche um, for young moms. Oh, wow. And even the lawyers who are fathers that want to bring their babies in can bring their babies in and pop downstairs and um, see how the babies are are doing while they're needed. Um, So those, those are some of the things that we've had to deal with and continue to deal with. Uh, we're lending our voices to a number of um, causes and initiatives um, in in the society that tend to that women tend to find that um, they have to deal with, uh, whether it's assault, sexual harassment, um, rape. Uh, those are, are very serious issues and um, re- require time and expertise, which we will devote and give. Um, to the issues because it, it, it's not something that's going to be solved in with one case or in one month. And just to round up, I mean, one of the things that uh, we, we are now working uh, on is the use of AI, artificial intelligence, to deal with some of these crimes. So there's um, uh, a lot of gathering of data in that regard. And um, we are hopeful that... Um, tech will provide a solution or add to the solutions that are already in the pipeline or are already
0: or have already been deployed. This kind of leads to the next question about a book that you co-wrote called Through the Fire. Can you tell us a bit yes, about it? Yes, that
1: was um, a long time ago or a few years ago. Um, what happened there? Um, we suffered a loss um, about, yeah, 10 years ago. 2010, to be exact, the very early part of 2010, uh, we lost our partner, Michael Onosoya, and um, his wife, um, obviously because he was our partner, she was someone that we were close to. And in working with her through the issues that you tend to have to deal with when you lose your husband, it occurred to me that, look, why don't we come up with a book that narrates the stories of women who had lost their husbands. So I spoke to um, Titi Onosaya, who was um, Michael's wife, and said, what do you think? And she said she likes the idea and would like to be part of it. And I spoke to a few other ladies um, based on who they were, my relationship with them, and their own skills. And that was how we decided to embark on this project because it wasn't something I was going to do on my own. And the first thing we did was to identify women who had lost their husbands and speak to them. And we tried to cover um, the, um, the different parts of the country. Um, we tried to take into consideration religion. We also tried to take into consideration age demographic, you know, from young to um, the old so that we got a cross section and we got over 30 Mm -hmm. stories. And the the absolute truth or is that by the time we had read all the stories, it was clear that we needed to broaden the scope of the book so that it wasn't just stories of women who had lost their husbands, what they had had to deal with and um, how they had overcome, or in some instances, not even been able to really overcome Uh, the experience and what they had to deal with. So we decided to broaden the scope in the the sense that we now ended up um, contracting chapters that dealt with um, a whole range of issues, um, ranging from the psychological impact to the financial, to the legal. Um, We also had chapters that dealt with um, what we described as good in laws, um, and also advice on this particular issue, it it was to do with asking men to understand what actually happens when they pass away. um, And the advantage and benefit of ensuring that, in a nutshell, your house is in order so that your wife doesn't have to deal with some of the things that she would have to deal with if, say, for instance, your house wasn't in order. So it became a tool guide, so to speak. Um, We still kept the stories, and um, the stories were dotted throughout the book. Um, But it, it, it broadened in terms of what it was talking about. And as I said, it was a tool guide, and it is a tool guide for not just women who lose or have lost their husbands, but for... The general public, men, women, young adults who want to prepare or who have a friend that um, is going through um, the loss of a spouse and they, they want to understand how to help that friend. Or even in some instances, um, for um, or in a lot of instances, for women in this position as well. So it opened up the, um, the audience, so to speak, for the book. And it was a not-for-profit uh, project. Mm. Um, yes, we raised money and money was generated, but uh, the money was for the production, and um, all the money from the sales was um, shared. We had uh, we identified a number of widows' organizations um, that are doing amazing things. They are also not-for-profit. They are training women. They are putting children through school. They are supporting a, a range of um, initiatives. So it it was clear that um the money that we, we got was going to be shared as um we identified. Um the other thing that was critical was that we brought awareness of the challenges and issues that um women go through. So to that extent, um I'd say that uh, by the time the project came to an end, we had more or less succeeded in what we had set out to do. So we've had the books get to the eastern part of Nigeria, the northern part of Nigeria, and the southwestern part of Nigeria. And um, from time to time, even though the projects come to an end, we have requests for copies of the book. So if we still have copies, we send them out. And one of the greatest satisfactions from this particular project is hearing about how the content of the book is being used to teach women about some of the things that they need to think about um, when these things happen. So you, 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 you're passing on that knowledge and awareness um, and it allows for a situation where people can plan for a very unpleasant and horrible time in their lives. But if you've planned for it, it helps to um, lessen the impact, the negative impact as it were. So that, for me, is is, um, one objective that was very important and that um, we've been able to achieve with that. So that's, in a nutshell, um, through the fire.
0: So switching gears slightly, what do you do for fun? What do I do for
1: fun? (laughs) Take a
0: guess. Take- read <laughs> apart from reading <laughs> oh, yep reading
1: um, absolutely that's number one on the list my problem is I don't have enough time to read everything I want to read I think I need like three to six months of absolutely no work and just being able to get through my shelves of books and uh, read them I still read hard copies or physical copies of books I do have uh, Kindle mm-hmm. and I read books on Kindle but I also have physical copies in terms of other things, um, I, I like to spend time with family and friends. I, I find it very therapeutic to um, engage and play and chat and um, just do stuff with family and friends. Um, I also like to do housework. Yes. Ironing, oh, really? Okay. In the bathroom, <laughs> sweeping okay. you name it. Um, so I do take time out for that as well. Um, I like to swim and um, I think watch
0: movies and listen to music. How do you balance um, your outside work life with your professional aspirations, Truthfully, all the things that you're doing?
1: I'm not sure I'm doing a very good mm-hmm. job um, yes. of balancing in the sense that um, I can, because of technology, you have your laptop, you're connected or your smartphone. You can work at almost any time and um, I I don't have young children any longer so um, I don't have to think about some of the things that uh, a mom with young children might have to think about Um, so I tend to work um, at any time I can work on weekends I can work after work hours right so that's why I say I'm not sure I'm doing a very good job. But then um, the responsibilities are, are such that sometimes you can find that you have to work outside of your so-called nine to five or eight to five. Um, it, it's, it's important that you take breaks. It's important that you wind down. But sometimes the responsibilities are such that um, you have to forego some of your rest time or some of your downtime. This pan- pandemic has brought to the fore health, safety, and welfare. Um, So whether it's emotional health, whether it's the fact that working from home has um, injured or damaged your back, because we moved very seamlessly um, from working in the office to working from home. And in fact, we closed down a week before um, uh, Lagos State was asked to shut down. And um, that happened fairly seamlessly. I mean, obviously we had some niggling issues, but in doing that, I mean, when you have an associate who's got young children that are at home, you can't expect the same level of output and you have to adjust and recognize that um, maybe the best time for this particular associate to work is in the night when the children are asleep or maybe they can't even work at all for now um, if, if there's no electricity or um, the data service provider that you've secured, sorry, the Wi-Fi um, connectivity that you've secured um, isn't working in the area, you know, so they can't work. So we've had to juggle a lot of stuff during the pandemic, um, found ourselves to be much busier than uh, we've ever been. And um, it's taken its toll, right? But uh, where possible, you shut down. Mm-hmm. Sometimes your own body tell actually shuts down for you. So it's a mixed bag. Um, I have an exercise group right now. We're doing a 30-day plank challenge. Um, <laughs> and uh, wow. Some of us are struggling, <laughs> you know, so it's different things. You have a support group that helps you, you know, to, to put things in perspective. Um, and uh, you also have to listen and know when to stop. So it's, it's a mixed bag, really. That, that's, that's the honest answer to that question. Sometimes I'm really good at it. Other times, not so good. So if from a young age you, you were told yeah, or fun. taught to work hard, it's what you know. And that is really the way it is for so many of us. Yeah. You know? I mean, when you think about children of today, their, their school yeah. days are, are so long. Um, and they are just being trained to be able to cope with these long hours. Mm-hmm. So that, that that plays a role, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's, true. That's true. That's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I think our default sets is to to work, and then rest is rest. It's a struggle to, yep. to do that to yep. so build and time with forward. the connectivity
1: so, that we have yeah. with the mm-hmm. significant improvement on communication. I mean, when I started work, once I left the office, nobody could call me unless I was at home and um, the phone rang, right? But now mm-hmm. um, we can communicate 24-7, you know? Um, and we've had to yeah. draw um, demarcations and lines where, look, even if an email comes in from somebody at 4 a.m., you do not need to answer that email and should not answer that email, you know? Um, The fact that the person sent it at that time doesn't mean they're expecting a response. So it's not something that... um, So we've had to draw those lines. Everybody has Mm -hmm. to sleep properly. Everybody that we are responsible for, which falls within the health, safety, and welfare, whether there's a pandemic or not. Um, I mean, one of our performance measurements is how you are coping with your work-life balance. Because um, if somebody is happy, it will reflect in their output, if they're unhappy then you have to address what is causing it. You know? So whether it's long hours in traffic or um, some other thing happening at home that um, is playing a role in their output, we've had to get involved in, in those sorts of things over the years, simply to ensure that our people, our personnel, mm-hmm. whether it's legal or business support, um, are, are, there's a balance in their lives and um, that they're happy
0: of curiosity, I mean, um, businesses are slowly reopening. Um, if some of your um, members of the firm want to prefer to work from home and they said, oh, well, you've done it since March. It was a success. I would I think I would actually like to I'd like to continue working from home. <laughs> Is that, see, is that going to we, be an
1: option? I mentioned earlier that um, we're very open to new things, particularly if they are of benefit to us. The traffic in this state has been what it has been for a number of years and it has only gotten worse um, despite the efforts to improve on it. Um, it's what it is. And if you have to wake up at 4 a.m. to leave your home at 5 a.m., and get to work at six or seven am to beat the traffic, and you can't leave the office until five five thirty. You know it impacts on the number of hours you can sleep, and that ultimately impacts on your own um, performance. So flexi time is something that was already in place in the office. Uh, one or two people um, were working from home one or two days a week or working half days and then depending on what you were having to deal with would dictate uh, what time you came in. Um, We've had situations where people have worked till late in the night or they're working on a transaction over a period of weeks and you don't need to come in first thing in the morning, not at all. Um, If you're in charge of opening the office immediately, your closing time is much earlier than everyone else. So We were responding and being proactive with regards to um, flexi time and um, working times and hours that helped with productivity and um, physical and mental well-being. And um, for us, working from home is our state of mind right now. We are not, we're not working in the offices right now, and we don't intend to do so anytime soon. If anybody is having challenges working from home, that will be addressed on a case-by-case basis. But um, all the um, infrastructure needed to work from home has been put in place, all the equipment needed has been put in place. So we are working from home. So it's more to do with someone saying, I want to work in the office. So it's not the other way around. Yes. Yeah. Okay. 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 Working from home. Um, Got it. Okay. uh, I mean, one issue that all employers have to take into consideration is how productive are um, our personnel when working from home? And again, this is where technology plays a role because there are various applications and software that we are signed up to, and you can track the amount of hours um, that any one person is spending on any particular project. And because of the way, I should throw this in, because of the way we bill, um, we also have to pay attention to um, the number of hours spent on any project. So if there's a dip in in number of hours, it could be that maybe the Mm. software or tech has failed, or maybe that the person is not working, or uh, there's a glitch somewhere. So you have all of that as well to help in terms of um, monitoring output. We don't want to have to monitor anybody, but it does happen where sometimes output will fall for very good reason.
0: So what's next?
1: Well, at this stage in my career, um, what is one of the priorities is to ensure that um, there's continuity in the firm. And I, I dare say we've done that but there are many aspects to it. So it's making sure that all the different aspects have been addressed. Um, in other words, if I'm no longer able to, to work, are there um, personnel that can take over? And that is over a period of time that um, you develop and um, train uh, your successors, so to speak. And uh, so that, that, that's one very important uh, thing For all of us as partners in the firm, to ensure that um, there's business continuity no matter what. Um, From a a, from a business perspective, we're planning to survive in the way so many other businesses are also planning to survive after, sorry, while living with COVID 19 and after COVID 19, um, to ensure that we still have businesses and we still have clients that um, um, have business operations that we can support with. In in terms of projects, um, uh, one very key one for me is the artificial intelligence one that I mentioned. Um, And another thing that I'm looking at that I'm working on really is also in Nigeria's music industry, um, we have issues with collection societies. So I'm working on a number of projects designed to help the issue of collection societies um, so that it begins to function as it should, and the artists or the owners of the copyright are earning revenue as they should um, from particular copyright that the collection societies are
0: responsible for. That's really fantastic. I really want to thank you for taking like the, the last hour. <laughs> To share and to talk to us about your life and your career. Let me say thank you very, very much for inviting
1: me to be part of the podcast series. It is an honor, and I I say that with all sense of responsibility. And um, best of luck.
0: Thank you so much for joining me on the other room in conversation with Mrs. Sandra Oyewole. I hope you enjoyed this episode and picked up a few new things along the way, including how she started and has succeeded in a high-powered legal career. If you did enjoy this episode, please subscribe to The Other Room on your favorite podcast app and please consider giving us a rating and a review. Until next time, live your life with boldness and joy.